0: You are listening to TMB DOS, They Must Be Destroyed On Sight.
1: Discussions of an adult nature, adult language, and spoilers for the films discussed are most likely. Still on board? Come on in. Enjoy your stay. They
0: must be destroyed on sight!
2: movie will begin in five moments, the mindless voice announced. All those unseated will await the next show. We filed slowly, languidly into the hall. The auditorium was vast and silent. As we seated and were darkened, the voice continued. The program for this evening is not new. You have seen this entertainment through and through. You've seen your birth, your life, and death. You might recall all of the rest. Did you have a good world when you died? Enough to base a movie on? I'm getting out of here. Where are you going? To the other side of morning. Please don't chase the clouds, pagodas. Her cunt gripped him like a warm, friendly hand. It's all right. All your friends are here. When can I meet them? After you've eaten. I'm not hungry. Oh, we meant beaten. Silver stream, silvery scream. Ooh, impossible concentration.
0: All right, we're back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on site. episode 113. And I'm your host, Lee Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel Harper. How are
3: you doing, sir? Doing well, one hundred and thirteen. That's an omen, right? Uh, so it feels a little like uh, maybe not the place we need to be for a best of list. Eh, but we're going for it. We're going for it. It's the thing. It
0: it's the scattershot reality of the fact that our schedules have been so fucked that uh, it didn't, yeah. you know. And in, in a perfect world, it would have showed up at, like, 125 or something like that. But Yeah, yeah. we only did 20 or 30 episodes last year.
3: You know? mm. like, we went, like, two months without really producing anything together. So, uh, yeah, hopefully this year we will do better. That's that's sort of the yeah, yeah. goal, I think. But
0: But, I mean, you know, considering this year was not necessarily great for the progress of humanity overall, I do think <clears throat> it was pretty goddamn great for my movie watching, and I would even say 2017 itself was... Pretty goddamn fucking good for movies, for the most part, at least in certain areas. And I mean that—that's kind of a—that's kind of a general uh, true truism, anyway. That uh, when the rest of the world's gone to shit, at
3: least the movies tend to be better because they're responding yeah. to it to some degree, right? Right. Art gets better as the world goes to shit. That's that's sort yeah of the, the way things go. So.
0: so that's the sad irony of art. Uh, to have good art, you have to have pain and, uh, t- and destruction, apparently, to uh, to make it happen. But we're doing our uh, best of twenty seventeen, and of course, this is our best first time watches for twenty seventeen. So it's not necessarily movies from twenty seventeen. We did put it out there for our listeners, if they so wanted to add lists into this. Uh, we had two responses, and actually, that's two more responses than I actually expected. <laughs> um, I, I know, I know. When when you put it, put it out there, you can send it in by email. That's like the death knell to actually getting responses because no one trusts sending stuff by email anymore. And yeah. um, who
3: even uses email anymore? I don't even check my email anymore. My email is all spam and spam. That's that's, uh-huh. it. that's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. And people so, telling me to pay my student loans. That's about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So uh, we'll we'll go to we'll go to the listener uh, list here first, and then and get through this, and then we'll get to our stuff. Probably our biggest booster, our biggest supporter here, CV Fall, uh, sent in one pick. And um, I and to be fair, I put it out there: if you only have one movie in 2017 that was your best new watch for 2017, send it in and he says High Noon was his was his best new uh, movie for 2017 so there you go well you can't really disagree with that i mean no and i'm almost i'm almost tempted to put high noon on my list although i had seen it before but mm-hmm. after doing the episode it's like oh i'm watching a totally different movie now so i could almost count that as like a new watch but you know
3: Yeah, there's one on my list that's definitely a, like, I had seen this before, but not, you know, not through the same eye, so I included it as a first-time watch, so, you know, I I don't know, I feel like these, especially if it's been a while, or if you're kind of, you know, like, I don't know, the point of the list is not to, you know, create some objective standard, it's the point is to, like, create something that's worth talking about. For me, my list, my list is definitely... uh, I didn't watch that much stuff this year. I just, I've been busy with other things. So I really just kind of went through, like, the list of movies released this year and the list of movies that we covered and just Mm -hmm. sort of picked 10 that I thought would be interesting to sort of talk about a little bit. But I really just didn't, like, 2016, I watched over 100 films because I, like, made the effort to do so. And I think last year I saw maybe 20.
0: Yeah, I, I think my film watching was pretty slow as well. Um, I didn't log everything I watched on Letterboxd, although I, I, I basically just used Letterboxd to log like stuff I think is worth talking about, whether it's good or bad. But overall, I, I probably saw about 70 films this year, I think, is, is, is where it sort of sits. And a lot of them came at the very close of the year, like the last couple months. I, I, I binged a lot of stuff. We'll go to the other user-submitted list here. Our listener submitted list, user submitted list, like we're a fucking computer program or something.
3: Jesus Christ, um, that, that's that's where we're going in 2018. We're going to be we're going to be a software. You know, we're we're going to <laughs> blockchain, motherfucker. That's what we're doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can send all your bitcoins into us. It'll uh, be good yeah. stuff. Yeah, Jeff Williams, who I'm just going to say it right now, he's my new favorite listener because he's been interacting on the Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook, the single best way to get in touch with us and find out what's going on in the podcast. But uh, he put this list together, and I'm really interested in seeing what your reaction to this is, because I think you probably are familiar with more films on this than I am. Uh, I'll just say this right now. Out of his entire list, there's only one film on this list I've seen. Oh, wow. There's only one film on this list that goes past 1967, I think, 66, I guess. Yeah, there's like one, there's one film on this that goes past 1966. So I'm going to go through his list here. Um, So uh, the first one he mentions is The Man with the Movie Camera from 1929. He says a surprisingly light and playful Russian documentary about life, death, and everything else. Have you ever heard of that one?
3: I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Okay. Um, I've heard, I've heard nice things, uh, but you know, my 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 knowledge of Russian cinema of the teens and twenties is unfortunately lacking. Um, it never I seems to be I, the 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 thing that I go like. Oh yes, let's watch you know old Eisenstein films. You know. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I think I think it also kind of. I mean, anything that comes from that area of the world is kind of hard to get information about and to dig into unless it's like a propaganda film of some sort, you know?
3: Well, what's interesting is like that 20 years ago when like you and I were first kind of coming up in this, streaming internet wasn't a thing. You know, streaming video just wasn't a thing and so you had to have either a DVD or you had to download it from some torrent site over, you know, like Dial-up, effectively. Yeah,
0: Jesus, least.
3: yeah. Um, I mean, I remember times when I would like spend three days downloading something, you know, just to, just to watch it, you know. So, uh, no, no, uh, you know, the world just isn't like that anymore. But no. like our formative years have passed. But uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely would. I would check it out sometime. I just, I, I just don't know it. So let's just let's just uh, go through the rest of the list. Or
0: yeah, the you know. second one he's going to mention here is uh, Sundays and Cybele. From nineteen sixty two, a poignant French character study with two stellar performances by Hardy Kruger and Patricia Gozi. That's one I've never heard of. Um yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah, and then the thing about this list is that it, it kind of intrigued me is this is all stuff we should just throw onto our master list and, and, and oh, definitely, That's what
3: I'm saying. And any anything that like a fan of ours is saying is like something that was favorite at first watched this year mm-hmm. that we haven't even heard of needs to go on immediately onto our master list.
0: Yeah. Uh, Third one. And this is the only film on this list I would actually heard of. And I'd actually seen Uh, this is blow up from 1966. He says a classic Italian anti giallo from Antione. Yeah. This is a, this is a David Hemmings film. This is like, this is the film that really got him into stardom. Uh, Of course we we've covered David Hemmings on uh, deep red and heroin busters and I've seen this one and this is, this is good. This, this is one where, you know, a photographer takes a foot photo- photograph and thinks he's found a murder on the photograph. Like he, he's, he's, seen I, a murder. I think,
3: I think we need to do blow up and blow out as a, uh, <clears throat> as a, as a two part episode.
0: Yeah. Right.
3: I think that yeah, would be a great uh, twofer. Um, also, you can't talk about David Hemmings without talking about Barbarella. That's, right. That's, uh, <laughs> that's totally the great David Hemmings performances. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, his next one, "The Breaking Point" from 1950, a loyal, serious adaptation of "To Have and to Have Not" with John Garfield. Yeah. yeah, interesting. His next one, "Intruder in the Dust," 1949, Faulkner's proto "To Kill a Mockingbird."
3: Oh well, that definitely sounds interesting.
0: Yeah, that that sounds uh, wrong with authority ish kind of. Yeah, well,
3: you know, we'll we'll see about. I mean, I don't know. But but Faulkner and to kill a mockingbird i mean yeah that that's interesting,
0: yeah, yeah. next one, uh the best years of our lives from nineteen
3: forty six a moving post world War two drama this I have seen this is uh one of the great masterpieces of of cinema uh, okay. it's it's one of those uh post war um you know about what was lost from the men who went and left so much behind i mean it's it's actually a man without hands a man who's who uh actually lost his hands in real life you know it's it's also kind of about disability and uh yeah no it's it's a phenomenal film it's it's absolutely worth seeing um and covering at some point
0: sounds up our alley yeah
3: it's one of roger ebert's
0: favorite 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 films as well all right uh knights of cabarela 1957 Fellini classic with poor Giulietta Messina getting dumped on.
3: I okay. know the title. I have not seen it.
0: That's the thing. We should probably do yeah. some Fellini at some point because I've never seen a Fellini film. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we should we should get into it. I mean, I, I don't know why I've never seen a Fellini film. I've, I've never, you know, I've never been adverse to it. It's just never happened. So we should at least do some Fellini at some point uh, yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. His next one. Fellini. Yeah, and the next one, The Big Parade, 1925, a moving post-World War I drama. Hmm. Okay. Yep, don't know that one at all. His next one, Crash Out from 1955, a tense prison break noir with a great cast of character actors. Oh, that sounds awesome i'm i'm up for that any sort of prison break that 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 must be no noirish as fuck yeah. yeah so uh we'll get on that definitely his next one murder by contract another one that sounds right by the title something we're gonna we're gonna go after uh a new wave style american noir that heavily influenced uh scorsese okay yeah, that that that's a must. Yeah. We're we're gonna, we're gonna be on that. And he's got a couple of honorable mentions here. He says uh, the Mediator from 1990, a Russian made for TV sci fi movie that plays like an Andre Tarkovsky version of the X Files. Mm. I like the idea of that. Yeah. Um, then he says uh, somewhere in the night 1946, solid unsung film noir with John Hodak as a World War II vet with amnesia trying to find out about his sordid past. Nice. We should actually do a series on uh, movies about like guys with amnesia and shit like uh yeah. do this and do like uh Memento and uh and, and stuff like that. Yeah, that would
3: be something. Uh, all these sound like uh, really uh again interesting titles, things that uh you know off my radar for the most part and uh yeah, let's uh let's just throw that whole list onto our onto our uh to watch that's, this. One,
0: that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, and his final final one, uh, the Mad Magician from 1954, a John Brom thriller with Vincent Price. <laughs> We're up for that yeah, too. You got me,
3: Vincent Price, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. Thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, yeah. I I've been stewing on this list now for like two weeks or whatever. When you first put it in, I was excited to get to it on this episode just to just to share it with Daniel. Oh. I think all these things are gonna actually just gonna end up on our master list. So I mean within the coming year, maybe coming two when years. Come,
3: to, within the coming five years, we'll definitely get to <laughs> yeah. like, at least half of those, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the way we go the way we go with this, uh the no, the master list just it gets longer and we just keep like we just refer to it when oh, that's on the list. Let's do that at some point. So, uh, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah.
0: But, yeah, no, that that's uh, that's great, Jeff. Thank you very much. Uh, very much appreciated uh, for you sharing those films with us. So uh, we'll move on to what we've watched in the last little while. I don't really have anything to mention, but I know Daniel has a couple things, so uh, I'll, I'll let you go.
3: Sure. Well, uh, I did see The Last Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. Went to the theater. There were a couple, I want to say teenagers, but they were really in their 20s. Uh, okay. Sitting uh, four seats over, and they talked through the whole fucking thing. Um, you do want to punch them in the face. Um, yeah. But that aside, yeah, the Alamo has closed in Kalamazoo, and that's one reason I didn't see as many films right. this year because the, the film experience is just not worth it anymore. But I really liked The Last Jedi. I would mm-hmm. put it probably behind only Rogue One and Empire in terms of That's like the list yeah. of I was I mean the force awakens I finally watched this year like I mm-hmm. I literally just like avoided it completely I just didn't care you know I watched it just so I could watch the last Jedi because uh Ryan Johnson and uh I'm you know I'm a big Ryan Johnson fan and it was like okay yeah. well you know I got to you know I got to see this one and um I love the shaky dogginess of it I yep. love the the way the story works. I love the the plot is basically this very old school sci fi kind of thing where you know we have to keep away from the bad guys, but until we run out of fuel, it's you know, it's, uh, it's, you know? it's,
0: it's it's the new Battlestar Galactica, isn't
3: it? See, I never watched the new Battlestar Galactica. Oh,
0: well, the, so, that that's know. actually that's actually like the basically the major plot point of like the first little bit of the new black Battlestar Galactica, they're always trying to warp ahead of the Cylons and the Cylons Mm -hmm. are always on their tail catching them. So it's basically the exact same thing, but it's great. Like I'm I'm, I'm, I'm happy that Star Wars, it's it's a
3: very old school sci-fi thing. You know, it's very like, um, the very first Honor Harrington novel by David Weber kind of does the same kind of basic idea. Okay. Um, there's, I mean, it's it's very, very like kind of classic sci-fi, and I love anytime you can bring those kind of tropes into it. And you know, you can kind of criticize some of the science. Who cares? It's Star Wars, right? When um, when, you, I, when Star Wars actually brings
0: sci-fi stuff into it, yeah, that's interesting. I'm I mean, all fucking this, for it. This it's, is
3: like, this is. I mean, this is. I mean, I know people say, "Well, the plot is like tiny because it's just like, well, they're just running away from the from the empire, the or from the first order." Of the entire like, mm-hmm. who cares? This is just such a tiny little story. It's like, dude, have you thought about the plots of any of the previous films? <laughs> I mean, they're all. It's always some little thing that blows up into something right. bigger. Like this is this is. Uh, yeah, no, I love the uh, the multiple subplots. I mean, it gets a little bit like. Sometimes it feels like the film is trying to juggle just a little bit too much. It's trying to, yeah. it, it's, it's definitely overambitious for what it can actually achieve, but I kind of love that. I kind of love the idea that it's, that it's really swinging for the fences, really going for this sort of thematic weight, and really just confident in the, like, the audience is just going to kind of follow where the film wants to go, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed this film a lot. I was honestly, and, and this is, you know, big manly man here, I was in tears at several points in this film out of just how happy it made me and how moving in so many ways in, in so some really subtle ways as well, I, I found it's it, um,
0: it's it's amazing to see the criticisms of this. Um and you know I'm I'm not a big major Star Wars fan or anything like that. Yeah, me neither. I, I mean I, know, I, I
3: kinda I, grew up with it, but it was just sort of like I always loved the aesthetics of Star Wars. Right. I loved Luke Skywalker having force powers. But like mm-hmm. the story never really did anything for me. Like I was never like that kid. But I oh, but I grew up with it just in my but, brain. Uh, yeah, but like, I don't remember the first time I saw The Empire Strikes Back. The Empire Strikes Back has always been a part of my
0: Life. Right, right. The the best thing I love about these films is that um, not only do they feel like they're back in the actual Star Wars universe, there's just lived in field everything where there's a lot of practical effects and everything looks rusty and dented yep. and shit. I love how subversive this one is to the actual formula of it, where it's basically saying outright, we're getting away from the Skywalker's, we're 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 getting away from that shit. we we're 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 going in a new direction. Uh, we're, we're no longer going into this mythological fucking bullshit fucking storyline that has been sort of uh, almost a cancer to the later films. Um, right. we're, we're going in a new direction and I, I can see why a lot of people sort of push against that. Um, and I also love that. What's her name? Ray is she ends up being a nobody like she's just the oh, yeah, daughter, no. daughter of nobodies. And yep. that's that's great. I fucking love that. That. The the message that nobodies can you know feel the force and and move well, up. We, and then... can,
3: we can we could we could get a lot into the idea of like this sort of idea of what the force is and like the, mm-hmm. the force sensitive people represent this upper cast of like special people, which works great if you're trying to tell a narrative about the most specialist boy in the universe who's you know, right. father with a Jedi and who gets a poor farm boy on Tatooine, but doesn't really work all that well when you consider like what message that's actually sending about like people's well, value I've, in the universe,
0: you know? I've, I've always, this is one of the things that's always made me push back on Star Wars is that I've always resented the fact that it was always treated as a religious thing. And right. it was, and, and I mean, when you look at it, this, this just goes back to my atheism where it's like, yeah, religion fucks things up
3: and ruins the universe. Well, I <laughs> go, would, go I here. would, I would love if we find in, in star Wars nine and I have no faith in JJ Abrams to actually execute this. So let's, 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 but I would love to find out in star Wars nine. It turns out anyone can be a Jedi. Yeah. If they find somebody who will actually train them in the use of the force, et cetera, Mm -hmm. you know, and that it wasn't some like special thing that only the Skywalker clan and some other like special people got to have, you know,
0: it just feels like stupid, like, uh, dogma and shit from the actual Jedi religion that oh only certain people can do this. It's like no that's right. actually bullshit. It's 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 just been the it's just been the sort of power structure of the Jedi over the centuries that has sort of made that a, a reality, you know that that's well, the actual truth.
3: Well Ray has the books now, so you know there is the like yeah. maybe she teaches herself. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that they're going to do something interesting with that, but it is fucking JJ Abrams so like I have yeah. really Yeah, I know, see. I know.
0: But I mean, in this movie also, just the fact that uh, Kylo Ren, you know, people are like, oh, he's, he's such a bitch, he's such a whiny, this and that, and he's weak. Well, it's like, he's every goddamn fucking neo-Nazi right now. You know, he, he's, <laughs> he not really a
3: real, he's not he really a
0: real is. Nazi. He's, he's one of these neo-Nazis. He's one of these he's, fucking wannabes. He's,
3: he's a kid who put on the mask because yeah. he thought it made him look cool. And he gets called out for it by his boss. Yeah. But, I mean, he's terrifying because he's trying to live up to this ideal, you know, and that's a very 2017 kind of thing, go, to, go, thing, go, thing go, to have, you know.
0: Go, go to American History X. Fucking uh, uh, Kylo Ren is uh, Edward Norton, and uh, Snoke is Stacy Keach. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i i love it uh i yeah. actually like this movie a lot more now that i think about it and i love the direction at least this movie went i'm the i have no hope for it to continue this in the future but i love where this movie went with all with all the sort of star wars yeah. stuff it kind of i'm trying to i'm
3: treading slightly lightly on some of the uh spoilers um just for people who right, might right, know, right right or, right right, not have seen it but um, uh, I th- I th- I think it's a good follow up to Rogue One I'll put it that way. Oh, definitely. And yeah. and honestly, like I feel like and this is I mean it's weird to to say this but you could see this and not really know anything about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Like, it, it does, you don't, you know, The Force Awakens was made by the, almost by committee of, like, this is all the stuff you know. that Star Wars people love, etc. I don't love The Force Awakens. I mean, The Force Awakens, it's fine, but it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Rogue One and The Last Jedi really do something for me. Like, there really is, like, a, a beating heart to this, you know? And it doesn't feel like just kind of meaningless cash grab, you
0: know? Last Jedi... Breaks it all down to ground level and and kind of starts things over again and kind of demystifies a lot of shit and kind of dispels a lot of things and I love it for it I I, I really do. Um, it did make my it did make my top list uh, for this year, but I mean, it's that close to an honorable mention. It's yeah. it, like it, it just goes back to the fact that I'm not that big of a Star Wars fan, but right. I mean, still. well
3: I I saw this in 2018, but it would go on my list if I had seen it. Fair enough.
0: You know, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you had anything else you, you watched?
3: Uh... I did, and uh, after we got off the phone last time when we recorded, I had had a few beers, I think you might have heard that in my voice, and I put on Once Upon a Time in Venice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like exactly the kind of stupid bullshit movie that gives a great, quite uh, alcohol-soaked watch. And uh, what you didn't tell me was it is written and directed by the person who wrote Cop Out.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. So. Yes, it is.
3: I looked it up, and oh my God, can you tell in this film? That <laughs> this is, it's it's such that same style of humor, that sort of uh, really one note kind of like we're going to be vaguely offensive, but get just up to that line to where we're not yeah. allowed to say this anymore. Um, but at the same time, like not really do anything all that interesting with it. The film is pretty enjoyable overall. is sort of like something that I spent ninety nine cents on a rental from Amazon. Yeah. Although I just looked it up uh, a few minutes ago, and it's now a four ninety nine rental, and I don't think it's worth a four ninety nine rental. But it was worth the ninety nine yeah. cents I paid for it. So I don't know, like, why it went up by five dollars. I don't know. Maybe they were running some like post Christmas sale or whatever when I uh, <laughs> checked it out. Um, I think the big problem for me is that uh, Bruce Willis is horribly miscast. Um yeah I feel like he's a little bit too much of a straightforward tough guy and doesn't strike me as kind of a goofy skater. He doesn't feel natural as that kind yeah. of guy. Like, yeah. I feel I feel like the Owen Wilson is who should be playing this role. This this isn't a Bruce yeah. Willis role, you know? yeah. Um ironically I could see uh, Bruce Willis more uh playing the John Goodman role. John in Goodman role, yeah. yeah, yeah. Although John Goodman is really good at it, I love how like effeminate he is, and how uh, yeah. especially in the last third he really kind of comes into his own. You know, yeah. Um, well, like yeah. I said, he, he kind of steals it away after like there. Yeah, it's a pretty enjoyable film. I mean, it goes down. It goes down pretty easy, but it's it's 90 minutes long, and I was I was kind of checking the time. Quite did a bit. you
0: uh, yeah. did you did you catch the uh, ADR moments? Where
3: <laughs> I, I I did yes yeah. <laughs> yeah no there's there's a lot of uh yeah no there are a lot of really weird decisions made in this film i almost want to do it as a commentary just so we can like (laughs) i mean it's almost it's worth dissecting minute by minute because there are a lot of really good decisions mixed in with a lot of really bad decisions um and again it does have that shaggy dog you know characteristic it does have that sort of we're gonna throw a bunch of plots together, and it and it creaks together pretty well as far as that goes. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it, I just it, feel like it's a little bit like we're twenty five years past Reservoir Dogs, and this is this is what this is what Tarantino hath wrought on the world, right? Yeah. You know, this is this is this is just the kind of baseline standard thing, you know. Um, yeah. Although yeah. I think there's a there's a Kevin Smith reference in this. Did you did you catch it?
0: I didn't see it. No. You
3: know, no. There's a Kevin Smith. You know, it's Steve and Dave are kind of the, uh, calling, and Steve Dave is a major, like, kind of uh, callback. Right. okay, uh, yeah. Kevin Smith's earliest film, so it was definitely one of those, like, oh, I see, you're, you're doing that thing. So, um, Once Upon a Time in Venice will not make my best stuff list for 2019. Oh. oh, shit, shit. But, um it, you know, if you can see it for free or cheap, it's not a terrible way to wallow away an hour and a half.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's on Netflix, so I mean, just, at least Canadian Netflix, so, you know.
3: <laughs> oh, I yeah, I, I, it wasn't on American Netflix, I had to. Oh,
0: okay, it. oh, shit. You, you guys weren't fortunate enough to get it, wow.
3: Apparently not, apparently yeah, not.
0: Yeah, there we go. We'll take a very quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll start into our best ofs of 2017, best first time watches. There we go. Awesome. You
1: ungodly warlock.
3: Hello, and welcome to Hello, This is the Doom Show. I'm Richard. And I hate the burning. Sheesh. Who are you? Speak.
1: <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark, 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 And he said, bark, 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 And she said, bark, bark, bark,
0: and That's what I got. One is the Susperia boner. The other
1: is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. which one is crying? <laughs> The boner of tears. <laughs> Hello this is the Doomed Show is available on Hello Doomed Show and Doomed
0: Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts is a weekly podcast
3: that discusses all things grindhouse, exploitation, drive-in, and B-movies. Your three hosts, Mike. We're, we're going to discuss the Renee Martinez directed picture, the $6,000. What? Ti- Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the name of the Super movie. Bro. Super Brother. That's the name. When you that's start the movie. DVD cover. When you start the movie, the first thing that comes up is the title, and it says
1: $6,000. Mark,
3: and I've been around a girl... Stroking a horse's dick. Somehow, somewhere down the line, I'm going to use that clip against you. Shh. Yeah. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> and listener favorite Iris, the deployment sock.
1: And I'm like, deployment sock? What the fuck is a deployment sock? He goes, you know that sock that you just use? Oh my God! You guys are so gross. <laughs> See, so it happens for real. People do come inside. we
0: Will make you question your political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop Sunday and can be found by searching
3: for BB and BC Podcast via iTunes, Libsyn, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and everywhere else you can download quality podcasts from. You
0: can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at
1: bbnbcpodcast.com. You ungodly warlock. Try to be best, cause you're only a man, and a man's got to learn to take it. Try to believe, though the One
0: And Now we're going to get into our best of first time watches of 2017, and I guess we'll get to the honorable mentions first. So we'll, we'll just go through our list for honorable mentions. Do you have any, Daniel?
3: I, I don't. I don't really have any honorable mentions. I just kind of picked ten movies that were, you know, again interesting things that would be worth kind of discussing again. So yeah, no, I, I don't have a ranked list. It's all just sort of like I just put them in alphabetical order. So
0: all right, cool. So I'll, I'll just go through my honorable mentions here. I'll... Uh, So the first one I'm going to mention is Cold Ground from 2017, directed by uh, Fabienne Delage. This is a found footage film. It's very much in the vein of The Blair Witch. It's sort of what attracted me to it. It's actually very well done in in that sort of sense. Um, I mean, after Blair Witch, it's very hard to, like, actually pull off a good found footage film and, you know, make it kind of work and make it logical and make it something that's entertaining uh, but Cold Ground does it. It's basically th- this group of uh, assorted people. There's some scientists, a American detective, and uh, a couple filmmakers filming this as they go up to a science station in the Alps to uh, find out basically what's going on. Like, all these animals are dying in the area. And it's basically their trek up the mountain. And they start feeling like they're being hunted by something in, in, in the wilderness. And I'll leave it at that. I don't want to give up. Give away too many details in the film there's one poster to, for the film that actually just totally gives away what's actually going on in the film which is it sucks but this is actually really well done they come up with a creative reason for them to keep the cameras on it's it's basically set in I believe the 1970s so the camera ends up malfunctioning in a way where the light stays on uh, so they need the they need the light for the camera to to light their way in the dark. Mm. And, and so they have to keep filming while they're doing that. It's really well done. Uh, good tension in it. Uh, very, very much Blair Witch-like. The actors are really good in this. Like, they're way better than the actors in Blair Witch Project, actually. I found them all interesting and believable. And uh, I, I like that the, uh, the American detective is kind of a conspiracy theorist. He's like a proto-Fox Mulder. He has all these the- theories about, like, uh, cattle mutilations and stuff that were going on during that period. And so he he's trying to take his theories and, and sort of transpose them on what's going on here in France or whatever. Usually, you know, found footage films don't impress me all that much. But this one actually did a really good job of keeping true to the formula and, and making it work. So uh, there you go. Next one, this is Never Hike Alone from 2017. And this is a fan film. This is a uh, Friday the 13th fan film, actually. And this is a fan film that's actually better than... I would say 70% of the sequels to Friday the 13th. The, these are people making this film. Uh, the director is uh, Vincente Desante, and he's obviously a big fucking fan of Friday the 13th, and he actually wants to, you know, ground the series and take it to a more serious direction. Um, it's basically about this hiker filming himself hiking through the area where Cam Crystal Lake is and he encounters Jason Voorhees and the, the the results of that, and there's a sort of a f- fan service moment in this near the end of the film where they bring back one of the protagonists from the Friday the Thirteenth films. It's it's just a really good fan film. It's, it's not a great film or anything like that. So, so but is I, it
3: was it is it like just a like an amateur kind of thing that was just made by somebody, or was this an actual like got a release sort of like real movie?
0: Um, it, it's, it's been, a, I, I think it's, has a release, uh, at least coming, but I mean, it's been all over social media, you know, okay. VOD or whatever. And it's, it's kind of professionally done. Like it, it doesn't look like some shitty.
3: I mean, I guess like you thing. say, it's like got Jason Voorhees in it. Like, does it have Jason Voorhees or is it like Schmason Schworhees? Right? No, like, no, 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 no,
0: no, no, no. It's Jason Voorhees. Like, like, okay, okay. Uh, the actors in it are good. Uh, the way they present Jason is really well done. It does fit within sort of the crappy continuity of the actual film series. But, sure. but I mean, it, it's, it's one of the best sort of fan films I've ever seen for any sort of franchise that's ever been done. Uh, so I, I just wanted to give it a shout out because it's worth
3: checking out. Never hike alone. Sounds like the, <laughs> the porn companion to fake taxi to me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> never hike alone, bring a buddy, you know, I don't know. Mm. Like it's, a, you know, I don't know. That's that's That joke was for free. It's fine. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Although, I mean, honestly, if it's Jason Voorhees, even if you bring a couple friends, it's probably not going to work out too well for you. No, <laughs> no. you,
3: might up, you might end up impaled in more ways than one in that in that circumstance. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Next one I'm going to mention is Who'll Stop the Rain from 1978, directed by Carl Reese. This is a early Nick Nolte film. Uh, Michael Moriarty's in it as well. Nick Nolte plays a friend of Michael Moriarty who's a uh, embedded journalist in Vietnam. Uh, Nick Nolte was a soldier in Vietnam. Michael Moriarty entrusts him uh, a block of heroin to bring back to the US to uh sell. Basically it's uh Nick Nolte running from corrupt DEA
3: agents who uh, seek to steal this block of heroin for themselves and sell themselves. (laughs) You had me at Nick Nolte and Michael Moriarty in Vietnam and now heroin. I'm like, yeah, put this on a list. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, this, this is a real fun film. Uh, of course, it's got that Vietnam tinge to it, uh, how Vietnam corrupted and and killed a whole generation of people and how it kind of, uh, the, the dirt of Vietnam came back to sour America. It, it's it's
3: very 1978 is what you're telling
0: Yeah, me. It, it very much is. And it's really good. Nick Nolte actually looks young in this film, which is just surprising on its own. And I really enjoy it. And it's also, it's, I mean the 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 fucking title is "Who'll Stop the Rain," so you know there's a CCR soundtrack through this entire fucking thing, <laughs> which is really good. It was a lot of fun. Next one I'll mention is "Arrival" from 2016 from
3: uh, Denis Villeneuve. And have you seen this one, "Arrival"? I have not. I really want to. That's the Amy Adams. Yes. Uh, no, I I have heard really nice things about it. I have not. Uh, yes. I think it's I think it's streaming on Amazon Prime, so it might be a. Uh, a, a soon watch for me, but uh, yeah, it's you know, on that, Canadian that hard sci-fi. It's about communication and right, know,
0: yeah, yeah. It's on, it's on Canadian Netflix at the very least. Great fucking film, it, like you said, hard sci-fi. Excellent performances. I, I just I just love the way this this film plays out. There's a very interesting twist at the end of this, and uh, the the movie plays with sort of. I, I guess the best way to say it is like the reality of the aliens compared to our reality, how we perceive reality. They they wow. perceive it in a different way where time necessarily isn't as static as it is for us. It's much more fluid. So there's this interesting mm. kind of sort of reveal at the end of the film. It's kind of tragic and it's kind of beautiful at the same time. And it it, it, it truly is a great sci-fi film. It's it's one of the real classics of the modern era as far as I'm concerned. So
3: yeah, no, uh, it's 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 on my short list. Uh just you know, haven't haven't sat down in front of it yet. But
0: yeah. Next one, and man, this is a this is a long fucking uh honorable mentions list. I apologize to anyone listening, but Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, James Gunn. Just pure enjoyment. I enjoy yeah. the fucking of this film. Uh
3: did you did you like the first one?
0: I yeah, I love the first one and I like this one better. Because, you know, everyone's established now. So it's just like, everyone's established. We can just do adventures because, you know, you know all the characters, right? And Kurt Russell is a way better villain than that piece of shit villain they had in the first one. You know, Kurt Russell's yeah. actually interesting in this film.
3: I, l- I really like the the first hour of Guardians um, of the Galaxy volume 2. I, th- I think, like, once you sort of get into the... Uh, sort of the narrative of who kurt russell is and the the sort of relationships that entails things start to lose steam and then i was really what i was looking forward to in this film was it felt like we weren't going to get the 45 minute special effects laden action sequence at the end you know and it wasn't <laughs> going to be like you know a bunch of lights flying around and, and doing nothing but we did not... We did actually get that, and then I, I feel like the film kind of loses it. So I feel like the film is sort of like the first half is actually really interesting and good, and there's some some sort of really interesting stuff, and a lot of fun stuff being played with in it. Uh, but then, like, the, the main narrative just kind of loses me after a certain point. Yeah, I, I can see that. and um, but, but particularly the first 30 minutes I think is really, I mean, just phenomenal entertainment. I mean, yeah, just, well, you, you, know, you
0: get, you get the you get the, basically the uh family struggle aspect of yeah, like yeah. the first half of the film right and it feels like it resolves itself a little too easily in in then the last of the film i almost felt like this film was going in this direction where here's the first 5 minutes where we're going to give you the cgi fucking special effects fest and then we're right. we're going to we're going to then we're going to have this family drama for the rest of the film no we're going to we're going to book it with some more cgi bullshit but i mean
3: well, I love so, like the i love the eugenicists like uh you know gold aliens yeah. um you know who are like have sticks up their asses, and I love the like the arcade version like I love a lot of the visual design i love right. I love the fun of the beginning of the film I love rocket Raccoon in this movie yeah I love, I love uh, you know the sequence where you know basically the entire like army comes after him and he's just like Laughing at them, beating <laughs> uh, <like, laughs> them effortlessly—you know—which uh, is a lot of fun. Yeah, and uh, I also I love Yondo. You're... I love Michael Rooker and everything, but I do love. Yeah. him Yeah,
0: uh, um, I, I appreciate that Baby Groot is not overused. It's like he's he's just yeah. cute enough. He's just cute enough.
3: Right, right. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, there's there's a lot of again, like uh, this is another one of those. There's a lot of stuff I I like in the film that uh, that works, but you know. I don't know. Like overall, I don't know that it hangs together. Like as a as a narrative for me. Uh, but I, I I watched it once. I did. Uh, it is it is on Netflix. So I did kind of again rewatch that first like forty five minutes or so, and then just like went to bed and turned it off. Like yeah, this I, is the uh, stuff I the stuff I I loved about the film was all in that first you know like <laughs> yeah. half or so. But yeah,
0: yeah, I get that. Next one, White Heat from nineteen forty nine. Raul oh, yeah. Walsh. I mean, first time watch for me this year. It was. Great to do it for the podcast, uh, you, me, and Kit uh, talking about that. And I, I don't think I would call it a great movie, but it's a really goddamn good one. And I mean, you, you can't get past that fucking performance. Yeah, like, I
3: mean it's Cagney, it's Cagney. You yeah, can't, like you know, it's it's like the Cagney performance in a lot of ways. Yeah.
0: and I mean you know he's he's unfairly lumped on being like just over the top all the time, and he's not that over the top in this performance. He's he's pretty goddamn solid he just has big moments here and there in this performance and in well,
3: and, and the sort of childishness of him, like, mm-hmm. uh, the way that that works. And this is very, I mean, this is really early on in the, sort of the gangster film, but you can see like, sort of the, like the characters in Goodfellas are sort of all playing right. the same. So very, of very like,
0: Joe Pesci. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Well, I, I think about like one of my favorite moments in Goodfellas is the, um, when uh, Robert De Niro finds out that uh, Joe Pesci has been killed, has been whacked. Sorry, spoiling a nearly thirty-year-old movie, but you yeah. Know, whoa! And then he has that moment where, like, like is hanging up the the payphone, and he like yeah. smashes the handle into the, the the earpiece, the the receiver, into the phone like a bunch of times. And there's this like quick click, zoom in or the, like a dolly in that Scorsese does. It's one of my like, it's one of those like great moments because it's just, like, the, the inner, like, rage, but also this, like, childish tantrum that he's playing, that he's going mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and, I, and I think that's a great, like, performance moment from De Niro. And uh, you could definitely see kind of Cagney doing something similar from that. And then, yeah. of course, that feeds into, like, Tony Soprano and all the other. Like, right. it's it's all this kind of unbroken, like, kind of build. And White Heat's one of the earliest examples of that. Probably Scarface would be the, uh, the original Scarface. Would be yeah,
0: there. I'd say that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next, we're going to mention is the autopsy of Jane Doe from 2016 by Andre Overdahl. This is an interesting horror film. It's it's got Brian Cox in it. It's basically Brian Cox is the senior figure in this in this family owned uh, mortuary business, and uh, this. Jane Doe comes into uh their morgue and him and his son uh start doing an autopsy on her and find a lot of incredibly disturbing, unnatural uh qualities about her body and what results from that basically. It falls apart a little bit in the end, but it's actually a very interesting horror film. It's got a lot of really good tension built into it. I don't want to give too much away in case someone wants to actually watch it. Um, but I was just, I was really entranced by it. It was one of the better, I, 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 this is one of those ones where I'd heard a lot of great things about it and I was like, eh, maybe I'll see it, maybe I won't. And then I took a chance on it and it was really goddamn good. And also the, the actress who plays Jane Doe does a great performance here because she's basically playing a dead body for most of the movie and yeah. also a nude dead body for most of the movie. And it's like that that takes a lot of fucking well,
3: that's the best kind, really, if mm-hmm. you're gonna, if you're gonna i you know, a dead body, I mean, come on, like Paul, Paul? did Paul jump into this chest <laughs> so I, I, was, I was trying to I was trying to give a little bit of the Paul, you know yeah, uh shit um, just, just be glad I didn't make a Logan Paul joke at that moment, you know oh fuck, um, oh my God a, guys, it's a dead body whoa that's that's a, a stand by me, you know could it could have gone that way too, but uh you
0: know oh Logan Paul and stand by me, that would have been something. I would have hoped River River Phoenix would have just kicked the shit out of him at that point. <laughs>
3: hey. I want I want River Phoenix to go little little Nikita on uh <laughs> <in Holland now>. <laughs> 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 look it up, kids. That's an obscure reference here for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, and the last one I'm going to mention for Honorable Mentions is The Ballad of Lefty Brown for 2017. I already talked about it on the podcast. Uh, basically, the idea is Bill Pullman is that sidekick, the Walter Brennan sidekick from the, all those uh, John Wayne Westerns, you know, basically the... Yeah. Oh, there's old Squeaky. There's old. Uh, there's old Cranky. You know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll bring him along, and he's always complaining, going, "Well, geez, gosh, I I can't figure on that." Yeah, and and basically he's that guy, and this is his adventure. This this is basically examines what that character would do if the hero died early on yeah. in the film. And no, that's
3: that's definitely. Uh, I just wrote it down to uh, remind myself to. Uh... Check it out soon, because I'm yeah. uh, definitely out for that.
0: It's 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 great. It's uh, I mean, I I think we've talked about how underrated Bill Pullman is on this podcast, yeah. and this is one of his greatest performance if, performances, if not his greatest, because not only does this he sort of capture one of those characters uh, from from those films, he does it with a real nuance and a respect that makes it believable. So it's not. There's no campiness or anything like that that you would get from some of those John Wayne films with those sort of characters in it. You you can believe this guy. And I I just thought it was exceptional and it was worth sort of pointing out uh, for the year. So, something to watch.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Now we can get to our basically our top ten list here. How do you want to do this, Daniel? Do you want to just, like, uh, you, you say you're... Your first one, and I'll go. Yeah, to yeah. Mine let's, and... let's
3: let's alternate and just kind of talk through them here. Um, I think ho- hopefully at least uh, some of them we've both seen, uh, especially if they're ones that we covered for the podcast. So uh... Uh,
0: okay, so I mean, I know I know you didn't necessarily list them one to ten,
3: but no, I didn't uh, do one to ten. I just I, I like doing an alphabetical order list. Ranking is fun for nerds, and like I'm a nerd. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes. Yeah. You know, that isn't the point. The point is to 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 kind of create conversation. So um uh, right. So I'll let you get again, through your first these one. These are films, these are films that kind of came back to me as I was going through the list, um, and stuff that I thought was interesting and stuff that I wanted to kind of mention stuff about a little bit more than like sort of a best of. Um, because again, I just didn't see that much stuff. I'd love to have a, right. a list ten times this long to cull through like I did in twenty sixteen <laughs> and like really like have to pick and choose. So this is alphabetical order. Um the first one I wanted to mention was Drive. Ah. Um, this is from twenty eleven, the uh, the Ryan Gosling film. Uh, this is a film that stuck with me more than I thought it would. And partly that's because I think I think the process of making this podcast a lot of times we kind of watch something, you know, I, I make notes or whatever, I kind of get the and then we kinda of talk about it, we drink and then you know, it kinda of moves on and then it's very easy to just kinda of let this stuff kind of kind of flow through you and not uh, really think about it all that much. One of the things that I didn't realize when I saw the film And this, you know, kind of the thing I've been working on is I've been, you know, kind of studying neo-Nazis and through their propaganda Mm -hmm. and neo-Nazis fucking love this film. Do they? They do. There's a neo-Nazi, there's an alt-right movie podcast that did like a three and a half hour dissection of how great this film is. Holy shit. See, once I learned that, I went, holy shit, of course, Because it's all about this white guy who's being, uh, they're basically like Jewish men, like manipulating him. All the, like, his boss is Jewish. The gangsters are Jewish, right? And then there's, like, a pretty girl who gets shot in the face by, like, vaguely ethnic gangsters. And there's, like, this guy who got out of prison. I mean, it's all, once you view it through that lens, it's this terribly racially coded film. Also, all this, like, 80s Tangerine Dream stuff. Like, yeah. They all love this kind of fucking music, right? I mean, this is this oh, is yeah. right up in their aesthetic. Once I found that out, it kind of I kind of threw up in my mouth a little bit, like it's oh, sort of not yeah. because not because we have to dislike the film because they like it, but just on the like, how did I I should have caught that, right? You know. But I still think the film is really interesting, and I think the film is, but uh, definitely uh, kind of keep that in mind, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know well, that, that I, it's, it's easy to, uh, to miss these kinds of, uh,
0: I, I can definitely see how idiots on the alt-right and the neo-Nazi movement can misinterpret and fucking form sort of reconfigure that movie to fit their own purposes. Definitely. I, I can definitely see that like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
3: but... Well, we will not be linking to that podcast episode in the show notes, by the No, way. we, <laughs> we definitely won't because fuck those guys. Yeah. If you want to private message me, I will give you the file. That that way, you don't have to give them a download. So you yeah. private message me, and I will get it, and I will give you the file because I have it all stored on my hard drive. But because
0: um, yeah, uh, yeah, again, fuck those people; they don't deserve downloads. Fuck them. They don't.
3: They don't. I feel I feel kind of ashamed that I downloaded it. So you mm. know. Okay, um, um, I do think the film. I do think the film is actually really quite good. Everything that we said about the film is worthwhile. And uh, again, it's one I really want to. I really want to see what else Nicholas Winding Reffin is going to do with his career. Again, the one of the reasons I, I brought it up was just to point that out as something that we just completely missed that element of it. You know, Yeah. I mean, it's obvious that we might miss it because we're not looking at these things through that lens.
0: Yeah, we're not. But, we're um, not. We're not. We're not actually trying to find something that supports our agenda. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, my number ten. I'll go. Uh, the Last Detail from 1973, directed by Hal Ashby, and this is Jack Nicholson, Otis Young, uh, Randy mm-hmm. Quaid. This is an excellent film about nothing really, because nothing really happens in the film necessarily. It's basically sure. just Jack Nicholson, Otis Young are, um, uh, I guess, uh, Navy shoremen or something along those lines who are escorting Randy Quaid to prison. Uh, Because mm-hmm. he he stole a little bit from uh, a charity box. And it happened to be the uh, commanding officer's wife's favorite charity or whatever that she did. So he's getting the extra slap on the wrist for doing that shit. So he's going to be in prison for eight years. Yeah, yeah. So they yes, kind of war. Yeah, and so they get a week to take him to prison. And basically it's like th- their first thought is, well, shit. We got a week to take this guy to prison. We can, you know, let loose a little and have a little fun. Uh, But they start to like Randy Quaid's character. They they start to get along with him and sympathize with him and like him. So they're like, well, shit, we got to give this kid a good time on the town before he fucking goes to prison because he's he's only like twenty or something like that. So yeah. it's like I mean in
3: 73 go. Randy Quaid was like nine years old or something. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let this motherfucker live a bit. He wasn't and so
3: he wasn't like shitters full, it was like diapers full. You know, <laughs> <because he's> very...
0: <laughs> yeah. So I mean it's just this really fun movie of these guys. I mean there's there's some serious dramatic stuff here as well. But it's mostly just these guys bonding together and basically raising hell as they sort of escort him to his prison sentence. And The
3: Last Detail you say, that's the title? Yeah,
0: Yeah. yeah. And Jack Jack Nicholson is at his fucking cynical, nihilistic best here as just as really a brace of asshole who doesn't take shit from anybody. I mean, there's a scene in a bar where they're they're trying to get Randy Quay to drink and he's underage and he just gives the bartender so much fucking shit when he tries to, you know, basically, I can't sell this guy any beer. He's like, fuck you. And it's like, just this great speech. It's just fun. It's it's just this really good character study about these three men bonding together. And Otis Young is trying to mediate between the two guys because he, he doesn't really want to get in trouble or anything like that. So he's like trying to keep Jack Nicholson on the up and up. Uh, you know, let's not give this kid too too much trouble, uh, but let's have some fun at the same time. And yeah, like I said, again, it's, it's kind of a movie about nothing, but you just follow these guys and, and watch their journey and uh, great performances throughout the film. Yeah. Uh, it That's was great. a r- lot of fun to discover this one. Uh, yeah, so, no, I, I just
3: wrote it down. So uh, yeah. again, that, that early seventies, you know, even more than the late seventies, but that sort of right before the blockbuster era, mm-hmm that era was such an amazing uh, kind of moment for character studies and for
0: that's, uh, that's the thing. This is all character pieces in this yeah. film. Basically. And, and,
3: and these were, I mean, this was, I mean, this wouldn't have been considered like a big kind of budget blockbuster film. No, but like this was, these were films sort of made for adults. Like the idea that like yeah. adults would go and see a movie and just sort of be entertained. And it's also, I mean, I think, I think the thing that happens today is that more and more of these stories come to television and then become kind of long-form uh, right. ideas, you know. Uh, yeah. And uh, we do a little bit, and, and some of the, like, direct-to-video or the video-on-demand and, you know, sort of the streaming market sort of do some of the same thing now. So, I mean, it's not like, I mean, this era was sort of lost for a while just because there, there was yeah. just no
1: market for this.
3: But you gotta lo- you got to love this era, uh, that era of a film. I, it reminds me of a film called uh, Scarecrow, which is uh, Al Pacino. Film from around that same time period. I've seen that, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw, I saw it like almost twenty years ago at this point, so I won't talk a lot about it. But you know, talking about the performances and talking about the sort of the way that the film seems to be kind of shot and paced uh, does kind of make me think of that. So, uh, yeah, no, we'll definitely, uh, definitely check that out. All right, <laughs> adding more and more films to the master list here.
0: All yeah, right. yeah, yeah.
3: So your next uh, one, my next one, number two on my alphabetical list. Uh, I am not your Negro. Okay, um, yeah, I've heard of that one. Right before the Alamo closed. It was actually the last film I got to see at the Alamo. This is the documentary about James Baldwin. Um, its It was a little bit of a disappointment to me when I saw it in the cinema. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of the reason is that the film is sort of, it's quote-unquote written by James Baldwin. It's actually sort of based on a book he was writing about the experience of uh, three of the great civil rights leaders being murdered. You know, in a very brief period. And uh, the whole point, Baldwin never completed the work. And so the film kind of feels a little bit unfinished. And it's largely just sort of a long sequence of sort of Baldwin speaking. At its worst, it feels like a sort of random walkthrough, like old YouTube clips of James Baldwin. You oh, know? yeah. I don't know that I got anything more out of this film that I would get out of just sort of watching James Baldwin clips on YouTube for, you know, an hour and 45 minutes, but that's still really fucking good. Right. You know, <laughs> um, James Baldwin, uh, was, a was a gay man, a, a queer man in, in the sixties. Um, everybody kind of knows MLK and everybody knows, uh, Malcolm X, but James Baldwin exists as a, uh, sort of counterpoint to both in a lot of ways. And, and as a, um a kind of underappreciated thinker um he was a great writer i think this film is worth seeing even though even though it kind of feels like maybe i went into it with like super high expectations right. um, i think it's it's a film i'm I'm looking forward to revisiting and i think it really was just kind of my expectations that maybe led me to think this was going to be maybe more than it ends up being um but uh particularly again if you're if we're, we're thinking about like it seems like we're reliving the 60s a little bit we're kind of in that same kind of like uh powder keg and uh, i think baldwin's um big chunks of this film are also um baldwin talking about old movies that he grew up watching all right sort of like yeah yeah, no, so so and then they would show so basically like a written essay that he read out right and then they'll kind of show the clips from the movie that he's talking about and you can Mm -hmm. kind of see what he's kind of referring to when he's talking about these sort of racial caricatures and this sort of there is a a very strong kind of visual and and uh you know kind of cinematic element to it i'm being a little bit unfair to it saying like it feels like a a, you know a string of youtube videos but um well
0: i mean you you put it on your top list so i mean (laughs) yeah you know it's
3: again incredibly interesting and incredibly important sort of uh subject matter and and uh a film that I think I want to revisit myself and maybe give another, give another crack as a kind of knowing what it is a little bit more concretely now. But um, uh, Baldwin himself was uh, absolutely worth, uh, worth your time as well. So uh, yeah, check it out. I am not your deco. And uh, I think it's, I am sure it's, I mean, I'm sure it's on like, Amazon. I like
0: think this- that's on Netflix. Pretty sure it is. Yeah, it, I'm, it may very well be. So. Yeah. Canadian Netflix, at least. Yeah, well... <laughs> we have all the movies on Canadian Netflix.
3: <laughs> Canadian Netflix, where everything... Where the beer costs $25, but everything is streaming. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly, yeah. So my number nine, Night in the City, 1950, from Jules de oh, yeah. What a fucking amazing movie to oh, yeah. uh, find in 2017, and... I love it. Richard Widmark, I mean, already a perennial favorite of mine. And I think this is his best performance. I think this is where he fucking shines the most. Is this just shitbag character who cannot win. And he meets a really nasty, simple, quick end at the end of this film. And I just love his, basically his struggle to try to survive through this entire film. I I again of course I'm a little bit biased the the professional wrestling angle to this kind of appeals to me quite a bit just to see like these these classic uh, professional wrestlers uh, back from a a time where even back then when this movie was made um a lot of people just didn't know it was, wasn't real, you know. Uh so I, I I do love that and it's just a great noir film at the same time. It's just yeah. uh really fucking well done and don't have much more to say about it other than you know, check out our coverage of that.
3: Yeah, we covered that one. Um I saw this one in twenty sixteen. I don't remember if it made my list in twenty sixteen. If it didn't, it was it was right up there. Yeah. I mean it would have made my honorable mention if it if it didn't make my actual list. Um phenomenal film. I mean Woodmark greatest Woodmark performance. I mean that's a that's a tough that's a tough judgment call. But, I um,
0: yeah, and I've seen I, a lot I, of, I've seen a lot of his stuff and this one kind of sticks with me quite a bit. So Yeah, no.
3: Uh it's very I mean, I think we think of Woodmark and we think a little bit more of the sort of like the caricature from uh what is it, Kiss of Death. Right. You know, the, the sort of the sort of the larves in life. But this is a very um it's a very human performance. It's very small. It's kind of a yeah. pathetic performance. And it is. He's very in, pathetic. And in, in 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 the best possible way. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. No. Kiss of Death is brilliant. And uh, yeah, it would, you know, it would definitely be on my list this year if I hadn't already seen it. Obviously. Yeah. 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 All right. Your your next um, one. I'm gonna go with Kitten with a Whip. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No. I'm going. I'm going for and, and this is like a pure, uh, you know this. How can you not? I, I I'm the sucker for a good title. Everybody knows that. Um, yeah, and, you know, I saw a kitten with a whip in Anna Market, and I'm like, well, yeah, we have to cover that. You know, I kind of love this film. I kind of it's sort of a B-rate touch of evil for me. Like I just sort of lo- And I know that that sounds like stupid when I put it that way. <laughs> you know, like it's so not that film, but I sort of love the like the Mexican element of it. I love mm-hmm. the. You know, sort of the over the border. I love the sort of uh, noirish elements. I fucking love Anne Margaret. I love the, like, the beat, the swinger beatnik, like, gang. Yeah. Um, it's just such a, it's such a fun little stupid movie and uh it was one of the most fun things that like i found and got to see and talk about on this podcast this year so i i put it on my list again this is an alphabetical list it's not like this is the third best film i saw this year but yeah yeah, yeah. i really enjoyed it and um you know i could have put i wanted to put an in margaret film on here i could have gone with rebus rebus was a lot of fun but rebus was a little bit more uh generic for me like getting with a right kind of like, I think about that film, and it just brings a smile to my face, honestly. It's just, it's such a, a little joyous film for me. And um, yeah. so. You,
0: you know what? Um I was thinking about that film, and what it feels like to me, uh the more I think about it, and I actually rewatched it this year as well, one time. It feels like a proto-Russ Meyer film. before yeah. Before you can show all the nudity. In sex, basically, is is what it is. Because the dialogue is, is, is the cheesy sort of overblown version of that sort of noir dialogue kind of thing Mm -hmm. that Russ Meyer just like reveled in. Like he just, he just bathed in that shit. And and all these characters are basically just saying Russ Meyer lines, but they just they can't get naked (laughs) because because of the time period, right? So when I when I look at that film now, I, I appreciate it a lot more. Uh, like, it's just like, yeah, this is just three steps away from Anne Margaret getting naked and banging some dude on a bed. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, not that I would complain if that was in the film as well, but uh, no, it's, it's, just a, it's just a sort of delightful little, I mean, again, uh, don't, don't think too hard about it. Just watch this film, enjoy it. I, I think there's a, you know, it really is worth 90 minutes of your time. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot I agree.
0: Of fun. Yeah, it is a fun film. Uh, my next one I'm going to mention is Under the Shadow from 2016 by Avon Manshadi. Uh, this is an Iranian film. It's set during the 1980s uh, in Iran. I, I, the War Between the Cities, I believe it was called. It it was a conflict in Iran, at at least uh, at Mm -hmm. that time. And this is about a mother and daughter. Her husband has been drafted, so he's off on the battlefield somewhere. So she's she's kind of estranged from him. And she's living in this apartment building with all these uh, assorted people in the apartment. So you have a little bit of character moments between these people and stuff like that. But essentially it is the horror slowly creeps in where she begins to believe that a djinn is trying to influence her daughter and take her daughter away. Hmm. And uh, at one point, a unexploded uh, rocket lands into the apartment building, and that seems to be the herald of the djinn basically coming into their lives. And it's so fucking well done. The suspense that is built in this film, you get a sense of culturally what it's like to be a woman in Iran in that period, and mm-hmm. honestly, it's probably fairly the same now.
3: What's the title again? I'm sorry.
0: It's uh, Under the Shadow
3: 2016. It makes it... You make me think it should be a companion piece to uh, Persepolis. The, uh, I,
0: I don't know Arianne
3: that. Cetropi. It's the animated film that's... Uh, like. Um, actually, I've only read the uh, the graphic novel it was based on, but it's, it's an animated film that's set... <laughs> during the iranian revolution the during 79 the the when the uh the ayatollahs took over and uh yeah
0: this is like after the revolution and there's like a war between like she <laughs> she, she was like a liberal during that time during the revolution mm-hmm. and now she's kind of ostracized by certain people in the community you know because she, you know oh well you used to be a revolutionary you know you
3: let's let's put this on the like to watch immediately list this sounds this is something i really want to check out oh uh Uh,
0: and yeah and it's it's very much i mean it makes a really big statement about a woman's place in the society mm -hmm. because the way the jinn is uh manifested in this film is as a incredibly large all-encompassing burqa so I mean, it, no. it's a li- it's a little, well, on, the no- yeah, it's a little just, on the nose, but it's also great.
3: Yeah, no, I'm I, I'm down. I, I like I legitimately mean, like let's cover this film and then.
0: Okay, okay. Well, I'll I'll shut up about it. Then I'll, I'll stop. Yeah, there, no, but uh, that's kind of
3: what I mean. Is like let's not let's talk about it later when okay. I, I get
0: to I get to watch it.
3: You know. Okay, so, so uh, your next film? Sure, uh, the Lego Batman movie. Oh really?
0: I've I've heard good things about this. Yeah. Oh,
3: this is. This might be the single greatest Batman movie, honestly. Like, <laughs> legitimate. Like, I'm not. I'm not a giant Batman fan, you know. Mm-hmm. The first, the 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 Lego movie was this sort of goofy, fun metaphor for like kind of children's play. Right. Uh, I don't know. Did you see the first one? No. Okay. Uh, they're both worth watching. I mean, the first one kind of is it's kind of get this generic like kind of hero's role kind of plot and then
1: mm-hmm. it sort
3: of goes off the rails and does something really interesting in the final third and since you haven't seen it i'm not gonna talk too much about it um but they kind of brought batman in and batman is voiced by will arnett and they bring Probably. him in as this sort of like yeah he he's this he's a will arnett character right he's this blowhard you know like you know I'm going to save the world and, you know, do all this thing and I'm badass, and I'm the best. And I only, I only work in black kid, you know, Um, the great thing about the Lego Batman movie is that it's, it references literally every era of the Batman continuity on, on film and on television, including like the forties Batman serials. Oh really? All the way, right up to like the dark Knight returns. Like they, they, it, it references at least in sort of a jokey way, you know, all over the place it's got numerous sort of adam west references um nice but it's not just a reference movie it's this sort of legitimately interesting look at sort of like who batman would be i mean and, and batman's relationship to superman who is also in the film again it's kind of a fun movie but it's a lot more interesting than maybe you might give it credit for just if you weren't sort of thinking out loud i mean the thing The thing with this one is it kind of runs into the TV. again in the final third it kind of has to do the kids movie. we're gonna do the plot and we're gonna give you right. a hammer home the like you need friends kind of you know you know narrative the plot the the sort of the the moral of the of the of the thing and uh, but that's fine ultimately I mean it just it sort of works in the moment, even though it kind of drags just a little bit for sort of an adult audience. I'm kind of like, yeah, I, I kind of get where you're going here. Let's cut five minutes out of this movie here, right. <laughs> This sounds silly, but it's probably my all-time favorite Batman movie. This one or Batman Returns? It's 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 uh, one of those two.
0: Well, I've I've heard a lot of people say a lot of great things about this film, so I'm not that surprised that you would say it's your favorite Batman yeah. movie. Yeah.
3: Yeah. No, it's it's it's. Oh, and, and of course the '66, the original Adam West Batman. You know, I yeah. think it's time now that Adam West isn't with us anymore. It's time to revisit the Adam yeah. West era, you know, and Batman is a fascinating character on screen. I mean, I actually don't like Batman like as a character. Like, I think he's basically like,
0: well, he's, he's a rich he's, kid
3: with daddy issues. Like that's kind of, I mean, well, you know, like that.
0: And he's a psychopath, right? And he's a
3: psychopath. I mean, but, but like what, like the way that different creators have interpreted that is more interesting than sort of the character himself. Yeah.
0: Like, I mean, he, he is, a, he is basically a cipher for people to basically step in and, yeah, interpret, right? You know, but yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, so yeah. Lego Batman. Awesome. Uh Next we're going to mention is Gerald's game from 2017 by uh, Mike Flanagan. Uh, Mike Flanagan's one of my new favorite horror directors. He, he did hush, which was on my list last year. This is a great adaptation of Stephen King from a year where Stephen King has had sort of a Renaissance as far as adaptations of his work. Uh Maybe not the dark tower,
3: <laughs> but it. Yeah, I heard that was terrible. I heard that. Yeah, was... yeah.
0: But this and it in 1922 apparently are all really great. Gerald's Game. This is a great ad- adaptation. It also uh, doesn't shy away from the fact that Gerald's Game was uh, connected to the Dolores Claiborne uh, novel as well, where there was uh, both of these events happened at the same time, basically, where there was like this mm. eclipse or whatever. Um, so it, it pays tribute to that. Uh it falls apart a little bit at the end, but it's great. It's got this great just basically these great performances in this film. Um the guy who plays the uh moon-faced uh killer in this film who shows up while this poor woman is finds herself basically tied to her bed after her husband decides to uh engage in more aggressive sexual play than she had planned for. And he has a heart attack, so she's basically stranded in the bed, tied tied into the bed. It's an interesting sort of discussion about her life and uh, what she thought about her husband and what she actually knew about her husband and didn't know about her husband. She starts to, you know, uh, hallucinate things. She sees, like, visions of her husband criticizing her for her decisions and stuff like that. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on in this film. is really well done. And uh, I thought it was a really good adaptation, sort of uh, adaptation. In addition to Netflix, uh, you can see it on Netflix now. Netflix, it's a it's an excellent horror film. Uh, really well done.
3: Number five, Reanimator. Oh, cool! This was way better than I really thought it was going to be. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, which is to say, I thought like, oh, this is going to be terrible. And and, and I am uh, talking about sort of the cleaned up director's cut version. Like that's, right. the, that's the good version. But yeah, there's way more interesting stuff. Uh, again, a lot of fun. It's, it seems like a, I'm, I'm kind of going through my list and like a lot of my list is like, oh yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was yes. lot of just yeah, just sort of an enjoyable experience to sit and watch. Maybe that's the kind of year I had as a as a, as a film viewer was I didn't really watch a lot of like the more serious uh, in depth stuff. But uh, ReAnimator definitely uh, was one of those like uh, kind of looking back on my year on they must be destroyed on sight. Like that was definitely one of those like oh yeah, this was one of my. This is one that I that stuck with me that, that was uh, like a really enjoyable watch, and a really enjoyable conversation. And uh, I kind of don't have anything else to say about it except like go back and listen to our episode. Like I think, yeah, I, I think we, we kind of hit that one and I kind of said everything I needed to say there. But if you missed that one, like if, if you haven't seen that, it's, I mean, you know, like I, I've always, I've, I, you know, I kind of feel embarrassed being in this podcast and not being a huge horror guy. But like I'm always like the I want to see the good stuff, but I don't care enough to like you know,
0: like yeah no. That. But I mean that's yeah. that's part of what makes this podcast so fun yeah. though is that you you get to experience stuff that you've never seen before, and we get to react to it. You know, because Paul and I are both big time kind of horror nerds, so I mean it's yeah. it's it's definitely fun for us to,
3: to see. You t- there's another film on this list that you will also appreciate me having on this list. And we'll just, <laughs> yeah,
0: know. But we, we do get a lot of enjoyment of like seeing, oh shit, Daniel really liked this one. It was yeah. like, and the, and the reasons why he liked this one are real fun. Like that, yeah. that's, that's the best no, thing.
3: Reanimator, I mean, you know, Reanimator always, like I was, I was kind of like, oh, it's just going to kind of be like a special effects kind of gorefest, fest, which I'm fine with. Yeah. But it's again, it's it's got a it's got a real witty beating heart to it, and it's got a yeah. real some real character bits. Like it doesn't, you know, more so than like a, the Beyond, or is it from Beyond? From Beyond, yeah. From Beyond, which, yeah. Which is more, more of, sort of a from geek Beyond, scenario. which is a little bit more of a. Like it's it's sort of playing with, it's it's trying to be a little bit more serious. Yeah,
0: know? exactly. Whereas
3: yeah. Reanimator is just kind of like, let's just go out and do the thing, and like stab people in the face like it's great
0: <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Je- Jeffrey Combs is going to go over the top it's great let's do yeah. it yeah, yeah. okay so uh, my next one 310 to Yuma from 1957 oh. Delmer Davies nothing much more to say about this I mean we, listen to the we podcast
3: discovered, we discovered it but
0: yeah, yeah. It great film. but uh, I mean fucking great I was pleased to be able to cover it on the podcast and I'm glad you suggested it so Absolutely. I'll leave it at that
3: Six revolver. Oh, yes. Yeah. Nice. Uh, this was uh, this was my. I, I went through all the um, Policioteskis and went like mm-hmm. which one really. I mean, not that I wouldn't, I would have been happy to have you know multiple, but it was which one was the one that really hit me the most, and I think revolver is definitely that one. Um, it was almost the uh, the police serve the citizens, which was uh, right, right. Another right. kind of interesting one, that, but didn't quite kind of get there thematically and structure.
0: That one's a bit slower,
3: yeah. yeah, yeah, Um, but revolver, I mean, a pair of great performances from uh, Fabio yeah. Testi and from uh, Oliver Reed. Yeah, really interesting crime film plot that then kind of becomes this like really fascinating political thing in this very dark elemental kind of narrative at the really in the last like 10 15 minutes mm-hmm. um again like one of those <laughs> i mean it's hard to say like you know it's this a ta- it's this low budget italian crime film from 1973 go watch it you know for, for people <laughs> who are not you know it's tough to it's tough to kind of sell people on that era of cinema, that you know yeah uh, they're dubbed or you know there's like like they just come kind of, they right. don't look like a modern film and it just sort of it just got kind of, what the what the fuck are you showing me right now but i think legitimately a great film in its own way
0: i totally agree i mean i mean if, if people have never seen it or listened to this podcast if you want to get some sort of insight uh, into italian culture at that time like what they were sort of responding to and what was going on in Italian society. The Polizio Teschis actually do a good job of sort of highlighting like the big points of that. You're not going to get nuanced necessarily. Like mm. you're you know, I mean, if you want the real details, then just get to the history books and start looking into that shit. But if you want to see a really honest response from Italian cinema about where Italian culture was at that point, the Polizio Teschis do an amazing job of just showing you, the the corruption and the fallout from World War II and where Italian society kind of was at that point. Like there there's a lot of really poignant kind of things going on in these films that well,
3: the thing the thing with films of this type is that they're kind of low budget, they're made quickly, they're made you know, and, and they're made for sort of a paying audience. Because of all those factors, they're allowed to be a little or at least Today we can look back on them and, and uh, kind of see they're they're responding to something in the culture. It feels like this very authentic response to something that that's actually happening. And through this funhouse mirror, because like nobody thinks that like this is like a realistic portrait yeah. of what like you know police culture was in 1973 in in, in Italy. But at the same time, there's something you know it, it's responding to that, and, it, and it's and it's trying to get it something that like if a more considered film, a more sort of polished, you know, Oscar worthy film or whatever, would not touch on these issues in the same way. And I mean, this is the same thing. It's funny. Like, this is the same thing that the, um, the last detail, you know, right. is, you know, made in the same year. And, you know, we think about just the way the performances were and the way that the, you know, sort of the, the way that films were shot in this era, you know, the, it's we're pre-blockbuster, we're pre like Spielberg comes and changes the world, right? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: and also, I mean, I'll say the Polizziowski stuff. I mean, yes, they are exploitation films. So I mean, they're basically they're tapping into the the pulse of the culture and heightening it. And you're getting a lot of gunplay, you're getting a lot of sex and violence and stuff like that at the same time. But they still do sort of open your eyes to a lot of the things that were going on, like a lot of the corruption and shit that was going on in Italian society at the time. Like Mm -hmm. you, you can't get away from it.
3: And the greatest use of yellow socks in cinema history. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, My next one, my number five is going to be hard times from 1975 directed by Walter Hill. Mm -hmm. This is the uh, Charles Bronson, uh, James Colburn, uh film Charles Bronson is basically this drifter who uh runs into uh James Coburn in Lou- Louisiana starts doing basically illegal fight club stuff basically you know like bare knuckle fights and uh James Coburn basically exploits him and <laughs> tries to use him to pay off all of his debts to the local uh sort of mob in Louisiana And uh, it's just a great film about these two guys learning to trust each other and whether they're going to bail each other out at the uh, appropriate times. And uh, it's a great Charles Bronson performance. I mean, it's funny to think about how Charles Bronson sort of came into his own, like, in his late 40s, early 50s, where he really became the action hero and the tough guy. Like, Jesus Christ, this guy. And, And he was so fit. (laughs) <laughs> like in this film, he's a bare knuckle boxer. You see him shirtless several times, and you go, "Jesus Christ, if I can look like that when I'm in my fifties,
3: they're so <laughs> for, for all of us, right?" You know. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and I mean, it it's it's just a bunch of great performances. Strother Martin is Poe in this film. He's the heroin addicted uh, cut doctor for uh charles bronson as he does these fights and the funny thing is charles bronson never gets fucking cut in any of these fights so strother martin doesn't have to do shit um (laughs) other than basically pontificate about the situation poetically and it's fucking amazing he almost steals this entire film away from everybody and it's a fucking great performance uh this, this is a movie of great performances and it's one of walter hill's best films and i just fell in love with it watching it
3: Well, uh, we'll have to come back and do some more uh, 70s crime films and uh, do this one, definitely. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, so your next one, Daniel. Sorcerer,
3: 1977. Ah, nice. Yep. I'm glad you Uh, put that on your list. We covered it recently. I mean, go back and listen to the episode. This is one I'm – I mean, I'm – I know I had seen – at least parts of beforehand. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'd ever actually seen it all the way through. Um, One of the reasons I stuck it on my list is because I had some thoughts about it. I wanted to run by you. Okay. I was thinking about like Friedkin's like uh, comments that you kind of see where he was kind of wanting this to be like a big star vehicle, right? You know, Mm. I'm trying to think like, if you imagine this with Tom Cruise Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, William H. Macy or, you know, the whole thing seems to be like we've got these sort of four preludes. It's kind of four uh, little little kind of pieces at the beginning that kind of demonstrate who these characters are. And then we're supposed to be just sort of follow along on the star power then he couldn't really get the stars for it. And so the film, like, I kind of get that Friedkin is kind of like, this isn't really the film I wanted to make. Because, exactly. Because, like, in his mind, he wanted it to be The Expendables or something. You know? Yeah. like He wanted yeah. it to be like the, that kind of thing. There, you know?
0: there, there was only, there, like we said in the episode, there was only one guy that had one of the lead roles that he had originally cast for. it. Uh, everybody else was third or fourth fucking picks. Uh, yeah. He was never happy with the fact that uh, Roy Schreider was the lead. Yeah, uh, yeah. Although, you know, they were friends and they worked together several times. He he was not happy with that the fact that he was the lead in this film.
3: Yeah. yeah. So I'm just kind of thinking about like if the film were like if it did have the sort of the big recognizable stars, the structure of it would feel maybe a little bit less, you know. I don't know. I mean, alienating is the film I'm use, is is the, the the sort of the 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 term I'm using. It isn't really alienating. It's just sort of like uh it's clear we're supposed to kind of just be involved in these kind of characters' lives from the beginning. And it works on the film level. Like, it works on a sort of you kind of watch the film and sort of you, you get involved. But I think the sort of the point we're supposed to get is you see Tom Cruise and he's kind of doing the Mission Impossible thing, right? You know? Yeah. And then, like, oh, he has to leave that. And then he becomes the guy in South America. And then you see, you know, William H. Macy and he's like this, like shitty (laughs) embezzling somewhere. And you see, you see him in like in, in the, in the, you know, in the Fargo role. And then suddenly like, Oh no, now I got to get out of here. And then you see him in South America. Like, I think that's kind of the kind of where we're supposed to go. Like sort of, right. I mean, with the film, you know, I
0: mean, he, he wanted Steve McQueen as the
3: lead of this. Right.
0: I mean, if, if you had Steve McQueen, and actually the fact that Steve McQueen did not sign up for this, because Steve McQueen wanted his, uh, I think it was at the time either girlfriend or wife, a, a part in this. And Walter Hill's like, no, that that can't happen. So Steve McQueen's like, well, fuck this, I'm gone. Um, apparently several other people, their participation on this hinged on Steve McQueen getting a role. Yeah. Uh, so if this was Steve McQueen and a lot of better known actors... Definitely, it probably would have drew a lot more people to the theater than it than it did i mean this this was still going up against star wars I mean
3: well right, and you're never you know, you're never going to go up against Star Wars and do all that well yeah, not, yeah. I, mean, I guess for me it's just sort of like that puts it in perspective as to sort of like where Freakin's coming from making the film you know exactly. yeah 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 is, you know it's sort of sort of a i'm not saying remake it obviously I'm just saying like if we're if we're going to sort of visualize what freaking wanted me to be thinking when I'm sitting down in front of this film, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I mean, sort of like examination of genre in a way, or sort of taking, plucking, uh, plucking these characters out of genre and then putting them into, you know, this other uh, thing. Although, I know?
0: mean, I, I, I can speak as just like a virgin viewer of this, not knowing the history behind it. The first time I watched this film, I just fucking fell in love with it. Like I was like, oh my sure. god, these these performances, these actors. I want to know who the fuck they are. Like I knew I know Roy Schreider. Um, I, I I I saw fucking uh, Joe Spinell in the, in a bit part in this, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my god, this movie's amazing. Why why the fuck have I had not heard of this movie before? I watched it and I just fell in love with it. And I I can't imagine what this movie would be like if it was like Steve McQueen and a
3: bunch of yeah, better known. No, actors. I mean- ironically i think it's a better film not having that right you know because they don't I they don't over they don't you, overshadow you don't, anything you don't need that for this film mm-hmm. right but you know it does it does kind of like put it in perspective it's to sort of like in a way uh the process of making the film you know the the technical limitations the budget limitations actually made the film better then I think freaking can kind of have this idea in his head about it. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a phenomenal film. I I really loved it, and I and I loved talking about it. Again, go check out our episode on it. I don't really have anything more to say about it, but it kind of struck me as I was I was really driving home and just thinking about sorcerer and going like, I guess it's like he kind of thought he was making the expendables, and then yeah, like way, if they'd I, made the expendables, but like <laughs> couldn't get anybody, but like you know. <laughs> people that were in like, you know, shit. In the <laughs> he movie, really like, he did, get the, he like
0: really did get the expendables. Yeah. Because he got a bunch of like third or fourth fucking yeah, big exactly. Actors. exactly. So yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh my next one, Cut and Run from nineteen eighty five from uh Rogero Diodado, and this is a Italian exploitation film, late period Italian exploitation film. <laughs> And I I did this one uh, for Gary Hill's uh, Cinema Beef podcast, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the films we did, and I love this. Reguero Diodato is known for his cannibal films more than anything else. Here he's kind of more restrained in this. It's basically just a straight up exploitation film. Uh, it's got Willie Ames in it, uh, uh, high into his drug abuse period. So apparently sure. he was a very diva on the set. It's got Michael Berryman, who, uh, if you don't know who that is, he's basically Pluto from the uh, Hills Have Eyes uh, films, the original one. So he he's the bald guy without any hair, who looks kind of weird. That that's him. But this is this is great exploitation film about this few the survivor of the jim's jones cult starting up a drug empire in uh, south america basically attacking the cartels uh, drug manufacturing plants and taking them over and uh this american sort of film crew going down and investigating it's just like lots of violence and stupidity, and makes no goddamn sense. But it's a great exploitation film. I absolutely fucking enjoyed every minute of this.
3: I love it. Uh, so, 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 I have a Willie Ames reference like handy if you if you'd like, because okay. when I think Willie Ames at this point, I I now think Zapped, right? Yeah, because we covered that, and it was such a you know, it's it's a great moment in our podcast history. Go check out our Zapped episode. I think it's one of the best ones we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but we think of Willie Ames, and we know him from Who's the Boss and Zapped, and then uh, now we know him as like conservative Christian douchebag Bible Bible man. man. You know, he's also the lead voice actor in the animated Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Is he Yeah, a friend like brought the DVDs over, and we were sitting and watching, it and I'm like, Hold on, Willie Ames is the voice of like. <laughs> The blonde shithead in the, like, (laughs) by the way, that cartoon better than it has any right to be, to be an early 80s animated Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. You know, Gary Gygax had, like, intimate, like, involvement in that, and it shows in the best way. I really want somebody to kind of remake with that same kind of sensibility, because today we could do it a lot more justice. I'm not saying it's a good like cartoon series, but it's not shitty in the way that like you <laughs> might think it, it was, you know, so much of that early eighties cartoon shit, just oh terrible, 80. terrible stuff. There's a real kind of wit and a kind of interest in the, like, there, nice. there's a, you know, like it feels a lot like a bunch of people just sitting and playing D and D and in a weird way, you know, but Willie Ames is, like, the lead voice. And I'm, man, Willie Ames, you got around in the early 80s. This is just a thing that happened, you know? Yeah, I
0: think he was drifting around for jobs for quite a while there. Like, I mean, mm. he had the drug problem and shit. And, I mean, he apparently he was notorious on this uh, film shoot of basically being an asshole. Just... yeah. But, I mean... He's great in this. He's actually really good. Like this is probably his best performance I've ever seen from Willie. Well, wow, well, I mean, and
3: when you're talking about a, like an acting powerhouse like Willie Ames, like yeah,
0: I mean, you, you know, I mean, take that take, this take yeah,
1: yeah.
0: But I mean.
3: Still, this this is a really
0: enjoyable exploitation film. It's just Reguero Diodato is known for his cannibal holocaust kind of films. Mm-hmm. There are some moments in this that are, are as brutal as what you see in those films. Like, there's a bisection in this film that's just ooh, it's, it's cringeworthy. It's, it's that good. Uh, there's some really good effects in this film, and it's just a balls-to-the-wall fucking exploitation. Don't give a shit. We're gonna murder a bunch of people, show some tits, Show some rape, you know, like all that stuff.
3: Yeah.
0: It's it's all in this. Does and... Does
3: Willie Ames rape someone in this film? No,
0: R- Willie Ames is Too like bad. the Willie is like the reluctant uh, rich kid who's been kidnapped by these uh, savages no, and is no. forced forced into uh, sort of uh, working with them and shit. But uh, he, wow. he 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 decides he he gets a chance to like machine gun a lot of motherfuckers. Oh, so yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah. So uh we'll go to your next one, Daniel. Yeah, my next one. Number eight. Spider Man
3: Homecoming. Nice. Have you yeah, seen
0: it? I've seen it. I like it.
3: Yeah. I, I like this film. I mean, I put it on my top ten. I mean, not that this is like a I didn't see that much stuff. I really enjoyed this film. I actually bought it Black Friday weekend, you know. It was mm-hmm. sort of it was a blind buy. Um just cause I Shannon and I wanted to see it. My wife and I wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. And I think the the like the streaming was Three ninety nine and the DVD or the Blu ray was on sale for $7.99 or something, and I went nice. sure. Let's just let's spring for the Blu ray. This is a really good movie. It this is. is the best Spider Man movie. I would. It say, is. You know. It is. Um, Tom Holland is really good, and yeah. I like. I mean, Spider Man three is a piece of shit, but I like the other Spider Man movies. I like yeah. both of the uh, Amazing Spider the um, Andrew Garfield Spider. man Never saw those ones. Yeah, I. I, I mean. They get a lot of shit, I, I think, unfairly. They're trying to go for this like kind of big overarching mythology of Spider Man. They're sort of rewriting the Spider Man mythos in ways that are kind of stupid. But I liked Andrew Garfield in them, and I liked the tone that they that they met. But this this one is, I mean, Marvel just gets how to do this. I Mar- sort of Marvel,
0: like, wait, you're saying Marvel knows how to write Spider Man,
3: right? Well, <laughs> it, it, I've read, I haven't read a lot of comics. I'm not like a big comics guy. And I haven't really read Spider-Man comics, but I have read some of the the Stan Lee comic strips from like back in the day. The big, or the the, kind of big collected amazing Spider-Man, like omnibus volumes. And um, I used to read some of those. I just found them around and I just sort of read them idly. And there's this sort of tone that they reach. And this film kind of hits that same tone in a very, you know, it's light as a feather the villain in this Michael Keaton is a great villain. Yeah. But he's not like an overwhelming villain. You kind of get that like this, is somebody that a 17 year old kid could conceivably beat in the fight, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a particular plot point that I like facepalmed, you know, towards the end of the film involving uh, the Michael Keaton character. Uh where there's there's a very convenient moment, you know. Yeah,
0: that's uh, very yeah, it's like, oh shit. Which you're, you're, either guy. Gonna, you're,
3: you're either gonna be on board with it or not. And uh I think I think most people kind of kinda go with it. It was kind of a like, oh we're doing this now, like really.
0: Honestly, that's uh that's essentially the green goblin fucking plot. Right, like right,
3: yeah.
0: Uh, I mean to the extent that Spider-Man is friends with uh, Harry Osborne and Nor- Norman Osborne ends up being the Green Goblin. That's this is essentially the kind of same idea there, right. but it's 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 changed for love interest instead. Yeah,
3: right. Well, the idea that it's sort of—I mean—it just sort of comes out of nowhere a little bit and just right. sort of becomes like it uh, is. Oh, changing. everybody knows each other in this world, right? You know, right. like you couldn't. Yeah, I don't know. Like it, it doesn't kill the film for me. Obviously, I still think it's it's really really good. No, it's minor. Um, but it but it was this kind of like moment where I'm just like, really? we're doing this. Like this is the yeah. level.
0: which yeah, It's like is. okay, let, let's move on. Let's let's
3: yeah. let's forget this. Real quick. Um, but yeah, no. I Spider Man Homecoming. If you haven't seen it, it's 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 worth a watch. It is. One of the most fun again, this list is a lot of fun movies, and this was kind of a blast for me i mean this yeah. is, it doesn't ask a lot from the audience, but it doesn't insult the audience either
0: you know no, no it it's it's really
3: good i I totally agree i mean and fairly kind of i mean i don't want to say low budget but fairly sort of low low stakes you know again, it doesn't yeah. feel like it'
0: well, doesn't no, feel like. It, it, it feels like a Spider Man film because Spider Man's yeah. supposed to be your friendly neighborhood Spider Man. He's dealing with shit in his neighborhood. He's, he's not saving the world.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And Marissa Tomei is hot. I mean, Marissa uh, Tomei. Aunt,
0: aunt, yeah. aunt May is hot. Yeah. Yes. That's, yeah. Uh, uh, Tony Stark said as much. It's like, oh shit, you're, you're. Your aunt's really hot. I, I'm going to flirt with her.
3: <laughs> well, the funny thing is, that, like, the, the scenes, because I had, I had watched uh, Captain America Civil War just before this. Yeah. Just before I watched this. And uh, the scenes with Spider-Man and Tony Stark are just completely like, hey, look, we've got another better movie coming.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's getting, exactly. Gonna,
3: like, it's just crammed into Captain America Civil War, which is... Like there was some interesting stuff in that movie, but that was just a fucking mess, right? Can, you know, can't, can't you wait for
0: Tony Stark to tolerate Spider Man while he flirts with his aunt? Yeah. Can't you wait for that movie?
3: I just I want I want to see the uh, like the romantic comedy between Tony Stark and Aunt May now. Like that's, <laughs> where Spider Man isn't even you just see him in the background like occasionally spinning <laughs> around and like you know taking out a bad guy, and the whole movie is just like one date. Where yeah. one long date night, like a like a before sunrise, where it's just Tony Stark and <laughs> it man, you know, sitting and talking about like things. So, you know. I don't know. We've reached that point in the evening where I'm just spinning webs of plot for you know for the yeah um, yeah yeah. It's worth checking out if if you were skeptical of this of the like the nine year old Spider Man, you know, where a lot of people were like seriously, like he's a fucking kid. He's great like he's really it's, good.
0: It's fun and I and I love that he has an accent too. I love that he's yeah. actually like, you know, you can uh, you can you can pinpoint where he is in New York and it's great. Like he feels yeah. authentic. Uh my next one, Get Out 2017, Jordan Peele. Fucking great I, fucking I, horror I movie. I
3: still have not seen that movie and I like uh, that's like so good. the one. That's the one that I was like this would definitely be on my list if I had seen it.
0: It's yeah. so good. It's so fucking smart. Think, it's I so think, fucking funny.
3: I think we need to cover it honestly I think in and, the, way it,
0: and you know. the best thing about it is it's a it, it's it's this really tension building movie about manners it it calls out so many things and ah. the and a lot of the uncomfortableness and horror comes from just how fucking blunt it is about calling things out this yeah. like the this cringe worthy idea and I love that it the villains in it are not your typical. Well, fuck these fucking in words, fucking this and that. It's it's a bunch of fucking liberals who are
3: they're uh, appropriating they're appropriating culture. They're, they're rich white people.
0: Yeah, you know? and the, yeah, and they're appropriating black culture in a yeah. mut mo- in a most disturbing
3: way. I have read a lot of think pieces on this. I know I will have much to say about this film. I think you will. Yes, when, when uh, we cover it, you
0: know. But it's it's um, so it's it's so smart and it's uh, it's an incredibly subversive film at the same time, and the ideas it put puts forward are really good and the performances are fucking on point and it's just I've seen it about five times now this year, and every time I just feel like pinpricks on my back and I feel let's just the conversations just make me. Ugh.
3: Again, Ugh, like let's just, uh, let's let's stick this on the like. Let's do this in the next few months. Kind
0: yeah, of. yeah. Well, we'll do that. But uh, I mean, it is not overhyped. It it is legitimately that great of a film. So awesome. your next
3: one, Daniel, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Awesome. My issue with us reporting on this is that you and Paul had you know knew this film backwards and forwards and uh, talked about like you know everything, which is great but i hadn't really nothing to add you know yeah. i was like yeah that's 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 nice you know i kind of got done talking about it uh fairly early on so i i hope that didn't uh make the audience think i didn't have enthusiasm for the film which i do have enthusiasm for the film i think it's a a dirty grimy little like kind of character study that turns into this horrific well horror film you know yeah. a slasher movie you know a great movie one of the greats of the genre one of the greats of of all time and uh i d- you know i saw it i'm like well that has to go on my list it just has to that was pretty much the only one that was sort of a, a no-brainer for like oh yeah that that regardless of anything that deserves a spot on my list you know it's funny like i don't really have anything else to say. It, it's just it's kind of just obviously what it is like, yeah yeah I can't imagine someone has listened to this podcast this long and has not seen The Texas Chainsaw Master, but if you haven't, yeah, go watch
0: I'd kind of hope not, you know, fucking shit. But uh,
3: you're next. Go ahead.
0: My next one is Brawl and Cell Block 99 from 2017. This is uh, the Fence Fawn uh, film, uh, it's directed mm. by the guy who did Bone Tomahawk, uh, which I believe I talked about last year. You just,
3: Bones Tomahawk, I have had that, the MP4 on my computer, and I just have not hit play on that.
0: This is a true exploitation film. This is not a uh, director pretending to do an exploitation mm-hmm. film of the 1970s. This is straight up that sort of film. Uh, Vince Vaughn is, goddamn, I. I'd like to say like kind of revolutionary here in, in his performance. Like just, he's not the Vince Vaughn, you know, in this. I film. mean,
3: let's, let's, let's be honest here. And this is, you know, you tell me brawl and cell 99 starring Vince Vaughn. And I have this image in my head of a poster. That's basically like Vince Vaughn with like the shaved head yeah, And looking goofy into a camera and going like, I'm in prison now. What, what, you know, <laughs> like it's the, it's the sort of, uh, the comedy version where he's out talking the thugs in the, in the prison. Right, et cetera, right, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but this does not sound like that. That is not, no, the, the film. that's
0: no. not quite this film. This Vaughn, okay. Vaughn looks, this one looks basically like a younger, taller Bruce Willis in this film. Mm. Very, very much so. And, uh, way better actor, by the way. Um, God God damn. Vince Vaughn just... Should
3: should he have been cast in Once Upon a Time in Venice? That's really the question.
0: He would have done a way better job. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Vince Vaughn's great in this. It it starts out as your standard sort of of crime drama film, but although it's very much more grounded, very much base level kind of stuff, it's not overly stylistic or anything like that. Vince Vaughn's very no-nonsense kind of character he doesn't necessarily play by the rules of life. You know, he has his own sort of moral code and shit like that. And he ends up in prison. And the results of that are, they just escalate. They just escalate. And it gets more and more brutal as it goes on. And it's a great exploitation film. It's a great film period. Period. Uh, the violence gets to the point where it's almost over the top in the sense of uh, *Inglorious Bastards*, uh, thinking uh, specifically Hitler being machine gunned to death, uh, like that sort of level of over the top, kind of almost a parody kind of like, idea,
3: like literally firing bullets into a rubber dummy. kind of, yeah, yeah,
0: there, there, there are moments in this uh, that are uh, sort of comparable to that, but. Goddamn, this film is brutal as fuck. It's enjoyable as fuck. Uh, Vince Vaughn deserves an Oscar for this this performance, uh, I I personally believe. And I I actually just bought this movie tonight. Earlier tonight, I was out in the store and uh, saw it and then picked it up because I love this movie that much. It's in my collection now. And everybody should fucking see this film. It's just... It's an exercise in... Just amazing filmmaking and exploitation filmmaking, and uh, everyone should see it. So uh,
3: there you go. Awesome. And your next one, Daniel. My next one. This is this is my number ten alphabetically, and uh, actually yeah, probably the most fun I had in a movie theater this year, and that was Thor Ragnarok.
0: I, I've seen it. I've seen it, and I can I can see why you enjoyed it. It it, it is this a fun is
3: fucking movie. The. the Everything that you said about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, I kind of feel about Thor Ragnarok, right? Yeah, where Thor Ragnarok is, I mean, it just—it's funny how like the the sort of once Guardians happened, they the Marvel realized, oh, we can tell some more jokes. We don't have to sort of do the because like the first Thor film is sort of like the the goofy romantic comedy. Like yeah. sort of action film which is fine i mean it is it is it's it's very gifable, right you know there's a big tumblr community for that the second thor film was a piece of shit that was <sighs> it's it's just I very mean, um it's trying to do this dark it's trying to do the the loki thor relationship it's trying so hard to do so much and it's just I don't know. Cat Dennings is cute in it. I love Cat Dennings and everything, it's, it's, you know. He's doing a lot of stuff no one cares about. That's basically yeah, what it's, it is. They learned the wrong lesson from the Avengers, right? Right. They're like, okay, we need to do the, uh, we've got to kind of give you more Tom Hiddleston. And really, like, no, less Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> but, like, good Tom Hiddleston. It's, you know, and they're trying to kind of play off the same thing. Whereas, I think uh, Thor Ragnarok, A, gives us less Tom Hiddleston, but sort of, Gives him something else to do, but also gives us a sort of um, a new dynamic because suddenly, like Thor and the Hulk are sort of together in this. In this, it's, kind of, buddy,
0: you know, it's you know, a buddy. You know, it's a buddy comedy it's, between those it, two. It, it
3: becomes a buddy comedy between those two, and uh, I mean, it's got a real wit to it. It's got a real. I mean, almost from the very first frames, it's just got. There's a real like note of comedy to it um and uh real stakes and there's a real uh revolutionary fervor to it as well i mean the whole spoilers for thor ragnarok but like the whole (laughs) the whole story kind of hinges on you know thor thinks he's supposed to prevent ragnarok but really like the whole thing is like no you're you're going to create you're going to destroy your society like that's like burn it to the fucking ground um which is again is a very like 2017 sentiment just burn the thing to the ground and we'll start over, um, and then they become refugees that are probably gonna like try to land in Norway, uh, right? <laughs> this, and it's like, oh my god, there's a lot of really interesting stuff buried under the surface of this film. But you can also just treat it as, my god, it was—it's just such a little jolt of energy, um, and it's got so much like really cool shit in it. It's so much fun. And, uh,
0: that's a uh, that's a great pick. I'm actually surprised I didn't put it on my list, at least for an honorable mention. Now that you mention it, uh,
3: I'd also like to mention um, just before we move on, Doctor Strange. I saw,
0: yeah,
3: I remember it. I saw it this year. I remembered it after I'd already made my list while we were talking, and that totally would be on this list somewhere. Nice, um, because that's the that one was I thought was going to be terrible because
0: it was so much better than anyone expected.
3: Like it gets past the, like it's a white guy doing Eastern quote unquote, Eastern magic fairly quickly and kind of deals with the origins of the character.
0: Dr. Strange is actually the better version of the iron fist Marvel series. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's definitely true. (laughs) That's what it is. Um,
3: And, and I really like uh, Dr. Strange ends perfectly because it's, you know, Doctor Strange basically like beats the big bad guy with his brain, which is yeah always the, that was the that was thing,
0: such know? a great sequence. It's like, I'll just go th- keep going through this fucking time loop until you give up, motherfucker. Exactly,
3: and I and love- not. I mean, it does have the big special effects sequence, but it's yeah. not like a giant thing falling from the sky. Yeah. Which, I'm happy to never see that again in a Marvel film. I'm happy to just not ever have to.
0: Yeah. Again. They they need to move away from that shit. Yeah, they definitely yeah. do, but they probably won't because, uh, infinity gauntlet. So, you infinity, know, infinity yeah. War's
3: happening. Again, yeah. <laughs> so, we'll
1: see.
3: uh, but anyway, yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, is in Thor Ragnarok. Uh, and, uh, I, again, I like, I don't really love Benedict Cumberbatch and things, but I like him as this character. And, uh, I think I think once you kind of get past the sort of origins of the character, um, I think he's he's a lot of fun. And again, he has a really great sequence with uh, Chris Hemsworth.
0: Yeah, he does.
3: Um, he does. Yeah, it uh, uh, doesn't overplay his welcome. So, just wanted to throw that in as sort of the bonus on the on the Thor Ragnarok discussion. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mar- Marvel is you know it's funny like I've got like two Marvel films on this list, and I yeah realistically could have three or four i mean i could have put of the against <laughs> volume two on this and it's not even like i love these films but i love what they're doing and i kind of like it's it's probably the best sort of franchise player out there right now like right they get casting and sort of plotting and sort of sort of like they're really kind of hitting on all cylinders right now and uh i appreciate that so yeah
0: yeah no i totally agree Okay, so uh, my last pick. This is my number one movie of 2017. First time watched. This is Lake Mungo from 2008. And this is fucking amazing. This is a a faux documentary uh, style kind of film. There, There are found footage elements in it. But it's presented as a documentary. It's an Australian film. And this is basically about the events... Uh, after the death of a sixteen year old girl and how it affects the family and how she may be coming back from the grave and haunting them honestly this this film affected me quite a bit uh, watching it 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 actually scared me uh, it actually made me uneasy. the way it's presented it feels like a legit documentary like if if you just sort of came into this cold. And watch this, you might think it's an actual sort of TV produced documentary about a family whose daughter had died. Uh, It's that well done. And basically, you watch the struggle of this family who take on the services of a psychic to try to maybe contact their dead daughter. There are several revelations and twists in this film. I just don't want to go into detail because I don't want to ruin this for anybody who have not seen this. At times there there are twists that sort of bring you back if if you're like a if you're a skeptical person like me, certain twists in this bring you back down to reality and go, Of course, okay, I, I accept that. Like I I understand where this film's going now and um I I accept what's going on and it makes more sense. But then, by the end of this film, it just gets really fucking haunting and scary and sad. And really, I mean, ghost stories, what are they? They're they're more often explorations uh, and responses to grief and loss more than anything else. And. This film is one of the more impactful explorations of grief and loss that I've ever seen on film, and whether it be you know straight up dramatic Hollywood productions or this, which is presented as a legit documentary, it's so sad. It's so fucking sad. It's so fucking haunting. And this is the movie that affected me emotionally more than anything I'd seen this year and it scared me and it's great it's fucking great it's it's probably the best ghost story i've ever seen on film and wow that's where i'll leave it
3: it's a good place to leave it yeah highest recommendation for me yeah no uh see i mean i, I keep saying this but uh, again that sounds like something we need to, to put on the list and uh yeah Anything that means that much to you, I, I definitely want to see. And uh, the best way to make me see it is to put it on our review list. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll throw that one on. Uh, but yeah, there we go. Holy shit! Twenty seventeen.
3: Yeah. Twenty seventeen. Look at that. Um, I'm am setting a goal to watch hundred films in twenty eighteen. Like that's cool. the, you know, so uh, to get back into uh, watching films more regularly. May or may not talk so much about them you know in the what we've been watching i don't know it just kind of depends watch more stuff kind of catch up on stuff i've missed uh lately and um i feel like you know 100 films is basically one every three days you know which uh right. is doable. you know yeah. so uh,
0: yeah yeah so um shit uh people people listening to this uh, <laughs> lee
3: is lee is fairly obviously tipsy at this point so I am uh, a little, we're gonna wrap yeah. it up we're gonna wrap it up we're,
0: we're gonna know, wrap it up i, I just i just want to say uh everybody listening um although you may have not contributed uh your top 10s or best ofs or whatever for first time watches 2017 if you want to do it uh after this uh please feel free and we'll read them on on future podcasts um but until then uh we're we're going to be looking at uh, 1980 sci-fi for the next little while
3: yeah yeah a couple episodes like Two or three episodes. Do we know uh, where you want to
0: go? Well, uh, what do you feel like? Uh, I mean, we've got a couple things on our list for... I'm
3: I'm, kind of thinking let's do uh, Cherry 2000 and uh, Radioactive Dreams. Sounds good. Do the two for Cherry 2000 I've seen, I grew up with as a kid. Yeah, same here. I haven't haven't seen seen. in like 20 years or... I, it can't i mean it's not 30 years but it's it's a long time yeah and uh but radio archer dreams i've actually not seen but i know by reputation so uh, i'm i'm excited Save. to kind of do that yeah so uh so yeah i, I found both of those and uh i kind of put it to to lee in the back channel where we like chat about stuff we might want to do and he's like yeah let's do it so let's do it Let's, yeah, uh, let's, we, let's we, we're kinda, we were
0: kind of we were kind of considering uh, 1980s sci-fi. So uh, Daniel brought those ones up, and I mean, we've also got sort of got on the table like uh, Enemy Mine and Less Starfighter and uh, yeah, Inner, 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 Inner Space.
3: In Inner, Inner, Inner Space is one that I kind of grew up with. That I don't know how well that's going to hold up, but I think it'll be a fun conversation. I'll be right. able to talk a lot about that. Also, holy shit, gonna make Ryan Oh, meg ryan and melanie griffith in the same series that's going to be a great <laughs> uh, yeah um enemy mine i think uh didn't we have a, a co-host maybe uh, Was was Kit gonna show up for that one or I think,
0: I think uh it was either Kit or james one of them okay movies.
3: so we might we might have to schedule that one out but you know we'll yeah yeah, yeah we'll we'll figure it but yeah i but think I, I think we do uh let's do uh, let's start off with the twofer and do uh the two uh i feel like I don't feel like either one of these films is going to be uh, too uh, involved in terms of being yeah. in, in characters. So I think Cherry 2000 and uh, uh, Radioactive Dreams is the, it's the place to start.
0: That's the next episode, ladies and gentlemen. Um,
3: so uh, first real episode of 2018.
0: Yeah. First real episode of 2018. Yeah. Hey, uh, so... I'll, I'll, I'll help us wrap up. I have a, <laughs> <laughs> do you think I'm that far gone?
3: Hey, Hey, you know, I've been this far. I've been this far gone before. You know. Okay, go go ahead, let let's ahead. see. Let's see you do the entire wrap up, Daniel. Go the entire wrap up. You can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com. You can find us on Facebook. They must be destroyed on site. That is the best way to get a hold of us. Although. I'm not really on Facebook uh, anymore, so the best way to get a hold of me is to come find me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. Although if you post to the Facebook group, I will see it, but I just don't like check it all that often. Yeah, next time we're going to be covering Cherry Two Thousand and Radioactive Dreams. And until then, drive through. Well done, sir.
0: All right, we're going. I've listened, I...
3: I've listened to a couple episodes of this. It's fine. <laughs>
0: You've listened to a couple. <laughs> all right. Thank you, fuck you, bye, we're gone.
1: (laughs) Oh,
3: no.